Greetings, programs and users. It is time once again for another episode of Old Nerds Drinking. I am John Patrick, the Master Control Program. We're back for part two of the recording Roja and I did for the last episode. Also probably going to add in some stuff that has been left on the cutting room floor from some previous episodes to get this to kind of a full-length episode. And without further ado, part two. So one of the other things that just recently dropped... Uh, the new Cyberpunk Edge Runner cartoon, uh, well, anime on Netflix. So this is based on the Cyberpunk 2077 game, and I also like that they do give a big shout out in the like the first big panel of the opening credits, is that it's uh, created in the set or created in the Cyberpunk universe, created by Michael Pondsmith, because. Uh, I fucking love Mike Pondsmith. He, he is a awesome dude, uh, and he created a great property that I love the whole world is finding out about and enjoying as much as I have always enjoyed cyberpunk. I haven't watched it yet, but Banjo told me it's amazing. Um, there was a Blade Runner Edge of Human cartoon that was out there for a little while that was really good. I was watching that for a little bit, and it gives me those kind of vibes from watching it. So um, that's another thing. Um, two major announcements that have come out of Amazon uh, this last week. Uh, they have greenlit a Blade Runner 2099 series. And from the looks of it, this could involve Harrison Ford. Hmm. What do you mean by could involve Harrison Ford? Is he going to be in it? He or... is in, be in it. Um and a lot of the promotion, and I don't know for sure. It's they've mentioned that it's been greenlit by Amazon Prime. Uh, it's going to continue the story of Blade Runner twenty forty nine, um, and in like all the pictures of it, they show for like promotional for the articles. They talk about uh, or they show pictures of Harrison Ford. Um, so they did announce they did do a panel at. D23 about Indiana Jones 5 and Harrison Ford has said that that's going to be his last Indiana Jones movie so they're going to have to figure out something to do or just end it after that so we could get another we could get an Amazon Prime series for Blade Runner with Harrison Ford in it he would only really work as a secondary I don't see him doing a full-blown series like I well, see I mean, him the same thing with uh, 2049 he was basically yeah. a secondary character and he was his in total screen time in 2049 I think is under 10 minutes but he was used really properly in that movie right right so I, and I like because to me Blade Runner is sacred and Blade Runner 2049 was a movie that I did not want i was like we don't need this blah blah, blah. it was the sequel we didn't know we needed exactly. until we it saw was it. the best unnecessary sequel that we ever got <laughs> that i've ever had oh oh so. here here's another uh we can we can we'll cut we'll circle back around to amazon but in the other news of unnecessary sequels warner brothers has just announced they're doing another constantine movie with keanu reeves you know uh i the Warner Brothers situation, I have to be very careful of what I say because... It is I, a shit storm. It absolutely is. It, um, it, it is... I, and, and at this point, if it's coming from Warner Brothers and it has to do with DC, I just don't give a shit about it. So, yeah, you know? <laughs> but I, I'll, I'll probably end up seeing it because, hey, Keanu Reeves can do no wrong. Well, and you know... And, 
the the like 2005 or whatever Constantine movie still holds up as a damn good movie. It is a decent watch. It really is. It's not the same as the comic book Constantine, which the DC Warner Brothers shows did a far better oh, character yeah, yeah. portrayal of that character on those shows than than Keanu Reeves did. But whatever, you know, like. Like, okay, have you been watching the Sandman series at all, by chance, um, on Netflix? So, no. Uh, it is something I do need do intend to watch. But, again, it's one of those things where it's like, I want to be able to sit down and watch it and consume it. And it's just right now, I do not have the time. Overall, I find it very good. They have changed some stuff in the show, which doesn't bother me. I've watched clips but... of it from various, like, YouTube videos, and every clip of it I love. I love a lot of the actors they have portraying people. Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer is amazing. Like it's she's great, but if you'd let me finish, the that there was one of the things that bugged me about the show is I she does a good job. She's great. I understand it. I get it. But I really wish that they had used the Lucifer from the comic books that is the same Lucifer that has the television show because that was supposed to be the same. They are one and the same character. And the other thing is that they have a female playing Constantine and it would have been cool. Like if they would have used the one off of the WB show to play that character of Constantine. Other than that. So it's, it's really good. I, cause Jenna Coleman is playing jo- Joanna Constantine. And I really, really hated her character in doctor who. Oh, so you're not alone. I, I did, love. She didn't bother me that, but a lot of people did not like her. <laughs> and it is 100% not her fault. It is um, Russell T. Davis. Or was it Russell T. Davis or what was the other guy? It was the one of the writers, Stephen Moffat. That's who it was. It was fucking yeah, Stephen Moffat. Mo- Stephen Moffat created this character, and he basically wanted her to be the most important thing in the universe because that was his way of putting his dick on the entire Doctor Who legacy. So it became, oh no, she's not just the most important thing to the current Doctor. It's like, we're going to retcon her into old Doctor canon that like she is the most important thing that has existed throughout history. And fuck you, Stephen Moffat, for that. Um, oh well. <laughs> I, I enjoyed a lot. <laughs> I, I never really cared. <laughs> I enjoyed a lot of the, the, the episodes he wrote for Doctor Who, but I could not stand her character. Clara. Uh, that was Clara, yeah. She yeah. she was the... I always thought she was hot as fuck, so I didn't care. She was the least, my least favorite of all the modern companions. It was... She made me hate the modern era of Doctor Who. It got to be the point where I hated her character so much, I stopped watching the show. Um, so I, I, I love to see her in another role where I was like, oh... I can enjoy this performance. She um, does okay with it. So, it's so, not bad. So Jenna Coleman, I, just, I am so sorry. It is not you. And I kudos to everything else you have done. I just fucking hate Moffat. <laughs> you are not alone in that, sir. Quite a yeah, lot of people yeah, share um, your, share your, um, your, your attitude. So <laughs> it's probably best you didn't watch the last series of Doctor Who at all, too, because they really fucked the show up. And it wasn't even the person playing the doctor's fault. It was just terrible writing. But that's oh, for another show. I, I almost went. I almost got back into it because I heard they brought back uh, Captain Jack and he's like my favorite, like ancillary character. It wasn't enough to save it. It was um, still bad. Yeah. yeah. They're, like they're already talking about it. it may be time to just like let Doctor Who take a, a few years off. 
Um, yeah, well, I'll say this. The girl who played doctor, the doctor, again, I didn't mind that she was a female. It didn't mm-hmm. bother me at all. And she played the character very well. She was, I bought her as a doctor. Um, and I, I feel bad because the writing of the show with the, the last of her run of the doctor was just terrible. And it sucks because I don't feel that the person playing the character of doctor who was given a real fair shot, you right. know, the, the, it was just very bad writing and they try to do too many liberties with the show and stuff. And it sucks because there's the, there's the misogynist assholes that you have in, in all of fandom that are like, yeah, it sucks because the doctor's a female. And no. it's like, well, the doctor can be anything. The doctor can be anything you want it to be. Right. So they have said that they're changing the writers for the next doctor. They've already bought the, they've already picked out who the next doctor is going to be. It's a black guy. Um, and, oh, uh, man. He there, looks there, like, I believe there was talk before about Idris Elba being the doctor. And oh my God, I would be down for that. I think he would be an okay doctor. They, they, were all, they, him. they were also talking about him for James Bond. And I was just as completely on board for that. Uh, I wasn't on board with James Bond. I think that, and it's not because he's black. I just, I would rather see him in his own series of movies like that. I don't, I just don't think, I just don't buy him as Bond. I, He'd be a great doctor. I fucking loved him as the gunslinger in the Dark Tower movie. Like I, I'm one of the probably like a handful of people on Earth who actually liked the Dark Tower movie. Ugh. Yeah, yeah, Ugh. yeah. Um, oh, they did such a dis. And it wasn't again. It wasn't the actor's fault. It was just such no, disrespect. That, that was that was another movie that was death by editing by committee. Um. It, had, it was terrible. It, it had potential, and it was just a, a re-edited mess. Um, like, that is a movie that didn't belong being a movie. That That is something that deserved to be a Netflix or an so Amazon show. Supposedly, Amazon Prime is working on a Dark Tower series that will not be part... Like, the movie won't, won't have anything to do with the movie, but will be part of the Dark Tower continuity. Because that's the thing, is the Dark Tower is this weird thing where, Stephen King said it, it's a cycle. It's this cyclical narrative that constantly, like, winds back in on itself. So you can have the books and then make a movie, and the movie doesn't have to be adhering to the book because it's just a different version of the cycle. Um, yeah, I'd rather just forget about it, to be honest with you. <laughs> Um, but uh, sorry, so, so this lets me cycle back to Amazon prime because Amazon prime just announced another series, uh, the peripheral. And that has got me super fucking excited because that is based on a William Gibson book. Um, one of William Gibson's more recent trilogies, which is, uh, pattern recognition, the peripheral, and there's one other book in it. And I can't remember which one it is. I have not read them yet. I've just been lazy. I have them. They've literally been sitting on my shelf for years, and I just haven't got around to reading them. But since we will probably never get a Sprawl trilogy movie series, I really am excited to see William Gibson's stories in a physical, like a visual medium. I hope it's good because thus far, nothing that's been done as a direct port from William Gibson has really been that great. Um, well, there has been exactly one thing, and it was terrible. Uh, well, that was the Keanu Reeves movie. Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, yeah, yeah, Johnny Mnemonic. Was... But you also had 
there was the one movie that wasn't um oh god perfect what was the what was the one where they had to put the virtual reality goggles um perfect darkness or something like that what the fuck was it called uh, perfect dark was a game for no. the gamecube god i you know what i'm not even going to bother talking about it because i can't remember the name of the movie strange days was the movie Oh, and no, no, no. Str- tell, Strange Days has nothing to do with William Gibson, which is, but, but it was an awesome movie. Well, it was it was totally completely ripped off from Virtual Light. That's what it was. Strange Days was almost completely entirely ripped off from Virtual Light, uh, like almost completely. They've changed some things here and there. But if you read the if you read the story Virtual Light and then watch Strange Days, you're like, yeah, wow, they never, probably couldn't get the rights to Strange Days. I to never virtual. got that. I and never clicked. Oh, go back, me. go back and reread Virtual Light. Yeah, now like I'm gonna, within. Now I'm going to have to because I actually really like Strange Days. It, it, oh, so did it, I. It holds up as like one of like the really good early cyberpunk movies. Yeah, um, it, it does, but it's a complete ripoff of Virtual Light. <laughs> you need to go back, go back and listen to Virtual Light, and then we'll have this conversation again. It's <laughs> it's very blatantly stolen from it. It's yeah. like to the point where it was like. They could have changed a couple of things around and slapped the name Virtual Light on the movie, and it would have been fine. Yeah, and so this series is interesting. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to play out because it involves time travel. So time travel in media is always super iffy. Um, but I really want to see it because it, it's got some Westworld vibes in it. And, um, but like, and that's another thing. God, I still need to watch West or catch up on Westworld. Um, I finished it. it. It it brings the whole series to a complete and final end. And it was kind of really, cause they said, I believe they said they're doing another season. I don't know how they're going to the way that it ends. They're, they're, they're they, they could do it. But I can't say how they would do it because it would spoil it for yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, and and that one I actually don't want spoiled. I actually want to sit and watch it. I mean, um, it it was okay. It does it, it does do the time jump thing again, mm-hmm. but they don't they don't try to hide it as much in this one. So, um, have you seen the new episodes of Rick and Morty? I watched the first one. I have the other ones that are saved in my DVR. I have to watch them. Yeah, I was gonna say episode two just dropped like recently, so I I only watched it last night. Um, what do you think of the first se- first episode of the new season? Um, it was cool. You know, it was Rick and Morty, but I, they're, they're going, they're, well, I was going to say that they're going back and, and retouching on things that they've done before, which I'm fine with, but they've kind of always done that within the last few, sh- within the last few seasons. So it was nothing new, but again, it's, it's, it's got the dark humor and, you know, it's not bad. I, I love Rick and Morty. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, it's. It's an incredibly deep show. On the surface, it's funny, but there's incredible. There's a lot of incredible deepness into it. Uh, the episode two uh, is is it's nice because it's a standalone story. It's not like one a meta plot, so it's kind of like a bottle episode. Uh, Peter Dinklage does a voice in it, and it's I, I don't want to give it away, but it's just, it's wonderful. I I I, I enjoyed that. Um, the first episode. The introduction of Rick Prime, I believe is what they're calling him, but of like they're you're finally seeing that this is the this is the catalyst for everything it is that moment where uh, what is he Rick 
616? No, he's not 616. 616 is Marvel. Um, that's right. That's that's the Marvel reality where all the all the movies take place in. Yeah, but if his dimension, the catalyst of it was we saw in the Rick Shank redemption where like Beth was killed and by this other Rick. And now you find out that that other Rick, it wasn't just something he made up that this actually happened. And that's what's driven him to just be the the Rick that he is in the rest of the show. So before we wrap it up, there's one other thing I want to talk about completely not related to media. I am a dabbler in TikTok, but the, thankfully the TikTok algorithm very heavily has discovered what I love and it feeds that to me. Uh, and what it feeds to me is a kind of uh, a mixture, a perfect mixture of cat videos, uh, gaming stuff, social justice or social awareness issues, and weird, obscure history that I just love learning about. And one of the things I read an article about fascinated me to the point where it started a deep dive. And it's one of those things where it's like, this can't be real. And then I started researching and I'm like, holy fuck, this was real. So you ready to hear about this? So sometime in the late 70s, maybe or the 80s ish um, in Washington, D.C., there was a gentleman who owned a, a chain of dominoes. And his chain of, chain of dominoes serviced a lot of the uh, government offices in the D.C. area, specifically the Pentagon, the CIA headquarters, and the White House. And through, you know, just crunching some metrics... He discovered that in the 48 hours before a major global event happened, before it would be announced to the public, for the 48 hours before that, pizza orders and deliveries going to government buildings would double or triple. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. So, like the invasion of Panama, uh, Grenada the Iran hostage crisis, all these things, like uh, the invasion of Kuwait. Like, it got to the point where he would physically watch, and when he saw those numbers spike, he could tell that there was going to be a global catastrophe within the next 48 hours. And that is amazing because the like when these things happen you you have i mean we're talking about the ci fucking a like the guys who handle the information the spooks who know everything and they didn't even realize that what they were doing technically created an intelligence breach well did it though i mean they just knew that something was going to happen but so it, nobody it, knows for sure what like Okay, the pizza orders are going through the roof. We must be getting ready to invade Cuba, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, it's this is what you call OBSEC. It's operational security. This is, I mean, like, this is the thing that in a spy movie, the bad guy spies would figure out and be watching for that this was how they're going to know that something bad's about to happen. 
Um, and it got to the point where I believe Time Magazine picked up the article and ran with it. Um, and then after that point, it had to change basically operational security for how all of these different government agencies did business. So now all of a sudden, you're no longer allowed to order pizza deliveries. They actually had to tell everybody in all these agencies, like, you have to spread out ordering pizzas. Somebody has to go get the pizzas. You can't tell them that you're from the White House or whatever. Um, but it, it's just one of those weird things that, like, you're this this can't be real. Holy fuck, this is real. Yeah, it makes sense to me. It makes, well, just, it's, it's everything can be metric now. Yeah. Everything can be data crunched and sorted and organized and which is kind of like what the show Westworld kind of that the later episodes of Westworld are about. Um, so at, at this point, all all data is usable. All data that's collected can in some way, shape or form be crunched in some way to be usable in whatever form. Well, I mean, that's that's Amazon's whole gig is the fact that or I should say Amazon and Google is like Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter, all of them. Yeah. Selling. It's all data. It's all data crunching metrics. It's same thing with TikTok. Mm. You know, TikTok pays very close attention to what you watch, what you like, what videos you scroll past, how long you watch a video for, you know, that's how it builds an algorithm of what you are. And that's how they know to send me the cat videos. That's how like Amazon, from what I understand, Amazon can figure out what you are within four orders of mm. what you've done. They can, they can, they've got it so down to a point where they, they can figure, they know if you're white, if you're gay, if you're straight, they can figure all that out very quickly within a few orders. Oh yeah. Which is kind of shocking because they can, they can, they monitor what you click on and what you're looking at on Amazon. So none of this surprises me. That's why these people are like, well, I don't do social media. I don't do this. I don't do they, that. It's yeah. like every single thing you do right down to the groceries you buy when you get your, your membership card to the grocery store, everything that you buy and everything that you oh, yeah, do, everything tracked. is metric and watched. Oh my God. I, okay. So granted I'm, you are a number, mm. like they don't know specifically John Patrick. They just know that this person oh, somewhere isn't this, um, John Oliver. Uh, and his show last week tonight did a deep dive into that. And it's like they figured out that, yes, your data is obscured by a number, but how easy it is to using the information that's attached to that number, figure out who you are for real. Yeah. When they did that thing about what was it? Um, They did something about, um, oh, God, um. But they figured out that they had all these weird things that people could click on. Uh, yeah, they ran these fake ads and depending on who clicked on the ads and there were they could geo track where they were clicked on and they were able to pinpoint that these ads that they put out specifically tar to target the demographic of certain senators and they were being clicked on inside the Capitol building. Yes. And then they figured out through that who the people actually were and they had the folder. And he said, so we have this information right here in this folder. So you might want to change the laws because we could release this information at any given time. Oh, man, that, so, now that makes me want to go back and check to see if they ever released that information. I don't know either. I never followed up on what happened with that. But yeah. a lot of those things tend to just go away. You know, like how like that's that's all of this stuff is that way. Like my my Facebook profile, my TikTok profile, um, TikTok probably is closer attuned to what I actually am. But when I created my Facebook account, I liked all of this different crazy stuff 
And every once in a while, I like to do shit just to fuck with the algorithm a little bit, just to piss in the pool a little, just to fuck with these people. Now, I'm not real worried about what data these people get from me and my conversations and things like that. It doesn't really bug me that much. And plus, there's nothing I can do about it. No matter what you do, if you have a cell phone, that's like this whole thing where they're going to put a, you know, the, the whole COVID vaccine is going to put a chip in you and the government's going to be able to track you. The government's been able to track me ever since I first got a cell phone. I was going to say, no, <laughs> the government cannot track me via my cell phone. Google, however, can track me via my cell phone down to within a meter of every place I've ever been in the last 10 years. Exactly. And so, oh, by the way, as a fun feature, Google now once a month mails you a, hey, here's a here's your history of Google Maps everywhere you've been. Exactly. So at least I appreciate hey, they're not even like, hey, we're spying on you. Here's what we found. But you do have the option to it's, turn that off if you want to. It's, it's just inconvenient yeah. to it, do yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, you know, don't track me everywhere I go, but absolutely still give me the GPS function so I can find my way to get around to like all the places I want to go. But just yeah. don't track me doing it. Um, it's, it's like people who, who buy guns, but they insist that they have to pay in cash because they don't want the government to know that they, they're buying guns when you literally have to submit a federal background check form in order to buy the gun. The well, there's multiple forms that go on file if I'm right now. Uh, just one. Uh, okay. you, you literally to purchase a firearm in the state of Michigan from a, a gun shop they are required by law to run your background check through the federal system. The FBI says whether or not you are legally allowed to own a gun. Mm -hmm. um, so all these guys who come in, it's like, you know, I can't use a credit card. I don't want the government. The government knows. Yep. It's all. Yeah, it's it's you're, you're not going to cheat. That's the system is the, the way it's set up now. You can't you can't cheat it. There's nothing you can do unless you go completely off grid. And you're living out in the middle of nowhere in a fucking cabin. And the funny with, thing is, even know. then, you they know. Because at that point, you've created yourself as a statistic anomaly because you're not there. You are the mm -hmm. black hole, which creates a statistic around you not being a statistic. Mm -hmm. So what's missing there? What's what's this anomaly? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, hey, it's, this guy, this guy hasn't made any purchases. When was the last time this guy bought a purchase? Oh, it was him buying this property. Oh, it was him buying all this like self-sufficient generators and stuff. Ah, he's one of those off the grid types. Yes, but it ends there. That's about as far as they can go with it. But, you know, I, I, I don't care if the government knows about me. I don't have anything to hide. I really don't. I, everything, you know, it's my my marijuana usage, which is legal in Michigan, is, is not a secret. Um, you know, it's like. I, you know, there's, I, I really don't, you know, I don't really don't care, you know. I always, it always goes back to, there was an episode of Law and Order SVU, and one of the characters, uh, John Munch, was supposedly like the conspiracy theory guy, which also, I love the fact that John Munch is a touchstone for his character existing in like five different universes that now all are tied, he ties them all to Law and Order, um, but they go to the FBI and they're investigating this this person who uh, like works for the government. So he's like, oh, well, well, I'm here. I'm going to do a freedom of information request and I'm going to get the reams of government files that they've been amassing on me. Because, you know, I'm a I'm a conspirator like I'm watching them and I know all this stuff. And they bring him 
one manila folder and it basically says, oh yeah, this person is basically a dilettante, no ties to anything, not even worth watching. <laughs> mostly harmless. <laughs> exactly. It is It is the legal equivalent of mostly harmless. And it's just like, yes, most of these people who are conspiracy nuts, the, the government doesn't care. As promised, we finished up the main portion of this episode, and now we're going to dive into some of the OND Lost audio. We talked about how John Munch connects together a bunch of TV universes, so I thought I would add in this section from an earlier episode where we talked about the Kevin Smith MCU connections. So let's roll it. Which, really well. okay, so, so this is something we have to touch upon. Um, Jay and Silent Bob now officially exist in the MCU. How? Where are you going with this? So. My curiosity is piqued. Kevin Smith. Okay, so, so first we have to go to Marvel. Or, uh, Miss, or Captain Marvel. In Captain Marvel... The Stanley cameo is reading the script is re- for Stanley is yes. reading the script for Clerk. Unfortunately, when I was listening to this audio, I realized that we continuously said Clerks. However, we were referencing the fact that in Ms. Marvel, Stanley was reading a copy of the script for Mallrats, which is the Kevin Smith movie that includes a Stanley cameo. I will endeavor to re-edit with all the instances replaced with Mallrats. Yes, which means. Kevin Smith, the writer, and the movie Mallrats exists in the Marvel Universe, Mm -hmm. which in Clerks canon, Kevin Smith directed a Jay and Silent Bob movie as Kevin Smith in an episode of Degrassi Junior High, which means not only does Degrassi Junior High exist in the Marvel Universe, but because he directed Jay and Silent Bob, that Jay and Silent Bob exist in the Marvel Universe. Let me say this. Let me say this. Okay, this, this, is, this is something that's a part of our friendship and we've discussed many times. I cannot wait for the day that weed goes federally legal so I can actually sit down and give you an edible sitting fireside with friends, watch you get high, and then go really deep dive into this shit because that is something that a stoner would sit there and piece together piece by piece. You will be sadly disappointed. Because the one and only time I did the marijuana, I turned into a giant human puddle who was not able to make words for four hours. I know. But around me, you will be in a controlled environment. I will give you, here is five milligrams. Doing an edible is much different than smoking. I don't smoke. I only do the edibles. Mm -hmm. And it will be, this is five milligrams. We will start here. And then we will go from there and see. That's the problem. Slight weed rant here. People who have never had edibles before, they usually, here, eat this brownie, not knowing how much THC is in it. So they eat it, and it's usually super loaded with THC, and they get super ultra mega, like, God-level high. And then they go, I'm never touching an edible again. Whereas I go, and I go to a dispensary, and I will buy a set milligram. I know exactly what I'm buying. I know exactly how what? much I'm going to take. When, I know something when you I say, take this. When you say the edible ain't shit, that's when it kicks in. Yeah. So that's why that's why I gave our mutual friend the Mongolian death cookie because I'm like <laughs> I know what that can do and I'm not going to go near that. Mongolian so, death cookie. The Mongolian death cookie, which was given to me, both we gave it to our friend Max, and our friend Max was like, I can handle anything, and sure shit, she could. But 
so when the time comes, it's going to be like, here is five milligrams. We'll try this. Okay, it didn't do that much. Okay, we know what that does. Here's 10 milligrams now. That way, when you take it, you're not going to turn into a puddle around me because I don't want you, I don't want to get you to that point. Yeah, that's not that's not the that's not the idea. But I would love to sit down and have you explain this stuff to me because I never would have come up with that. All I knew is okay. He was reading the script from Mall Rats in the movie, and I made a connection. Oh, that means Mall Rats exists there, and that was as far as I took it. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I didn't break it down piece by piece by piece to go into because now you have Marvel alternate universes happening again, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which means that Cockblocker and the other well, yeah, and, are... and the fact that in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, uh, Kevin Smith is the person who's directing the Jay and Silent Bob reboot. So there is the scene where Kevin Smith and Jay and Silent Bob are on the stage at the same time. Yeah. So by that, they exist as separate characters from Kevin Smith in a universe. And and by that token, that means that now the View Askew universe is actually a okay, side okay, offshoot. Okay, enough, enough, enough. You're, you're making my brain quake. <laughs> well, no, we, we, we talked about this on another episode of like TV I know, TV but now the repercussions are... that are... Yeah, because we talked about the, the... It was the Sopranos and the... The um, Gilmore Girls Paradox. Yeah, the yeah, Sopranos Gilmore Girls Paradox. Um, so... Yeah, and then there's other... There's other... Like, that's something I would like to do a whole episode deep dive on. Is like the the weird coincidental things that share universes. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. Things that happen that you just don't pay attention to until you really sit down and think about it and go, "Wait a minute, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. What is happening?" You know, and then the universe loops in on itself, and somewhere Kang is sitting there laughing, going, "Aha, Gilmore Girls, blah blah blah." Yes, it'll work. Well, I hope you enjoyed that snippet. Up next is a seven-minute cutout conversation where Ro and I deep dive into uh the dune lore that was another thing that was missing from this movie now i think about it there was the scene in the book and and on the sci-fi channel did it where um the emperor's daughter shows up and seduces fayed and gets him gets him high or whatever like he he calls her to the room and he wants to bang her or whatever and she kind of drugs him and gets all the information out of him and then he passes out because she shows up just after one of his 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 like ninety ninth victory or something like that in the arena or something like that. No, that's not uh, that's not uh, the emperor's daughter. Uh, that's the duelist's wife. Um, the guy who's in. I only know this because I just listened to the audiobook like uh-huh. a couple of months ago. But you know the scene that I'm talking about. Yes, is that after the arena match. It's she's one of the she's one of the like the Bene Gesserits and her husband is one of the failed Cuisette Satirettes. Okay. Um, where he is the of one of the dueling houses and when the Emperor comes to he's the one who always talks in mumbles. Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Yes. Yeah. The audiobook part of that drove me nuts. Yeah. But his wife is the one who seduces, seduces Fade Ralph. Okay. You think they're the going to do that in the second part of them? Because it would make more sense because that's when they're going to introduce that character in. But that would take it out of synchronicity with the book or no? Or would they, they would have to skip that scene, wouldn't they? No. I mean, because that scene happens when Fade Ralph, uh, when they, when Fade Ralph is in, does his battle in the, yeah. which will still happen. That yeah. will probably be the opening scene of the next movie is him in the pits fighting one of the, because that demonstrates how much of a badass he is. Yeah. yeah. And it will introduce his character and Baron Harkonnen setting him up to take control of Arrakis mm-hmm. when Raban 
when the people revolt against Ravan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that'll work. That'll work. Because I'm, I'm see, it's been a while since I've seen. Uh, when, of the old movies, I, I, I much more enjoyed the Sci-Fi Channel version. Right. Of I, it. I can't remember that character's name, but Neither like he was one of the failed uh, Kwisatz Sadarats that the the Bene Gesserits could he could have been, but he could, he didn't pass the test. But he was still he he had Bene Gesserit training. He could you do the weirding way for yeah. fighting, and he was the Emperor's assassin. Uh-huh. And so the Emperor tells him to kill Paul. And he won't do it because he sees that Paul is what he could have been. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now I remember. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a long while. Yeah. Like I said, <laughs> the, the only reason is because I just listened to it earlier this year and it's still pretty fresh. Because he had like mind. a poison blade or the, the other, the other opponent was drugged or something like that to make sure that he would win the battle in the arena. Well, yeah. it's, well, no, it was in the arena. They drug the opponents, but that was when Thufuir Hallett was working for uh, Baron Harkonnen, and he was helping Fade Rautha to ascend. Mm-hmm. Because you don't, they don't mention it in the movie, but in the books, uh, Thufuir is the master of assassins for the House Ar- or the House of Trades. Mm-hmm. So he's the like behind the scenes guy. Okay, so in the original movie, because it's been a while and I've forgotten, who was the guy that the Baron Harkonnen captured and they said, okay, for you to stay alive, you have to keep this rat alive. And the rat was attached to him and he had to, the, the, if, if, you don't remember that scene? I, dude, it's probably been 20 years since yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, see, I kind of want to go back and watch the original one now. I want to watch the David Lynch one again. Yeah. To see um, the differences and stuff in it. But there but was... Yeah, so, so in the arena... And there's Fade, people out there listening right now going, it's blah, 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 you know? So in the arena, Fade Rautha fights a Atreides soldier, and the Atreides soldier hasn't been drugged. Mm-hmm. And it's a big deal that, oh, he's in mortal danger because this is an Atreides fighter, and he hasn't been drugged, so this is a real fight. But he's still been malnutritioned and all that so he's not a real but it's more of a mortal danger mm-hmm. and it was specifically done so that the rest of the courtiers would see that fade ralpha could win this fight even when it was a somewhat fair fight and kind of his ascendancy as the uh the heir to house harkonnen mm-hmm. yeah because there was also the scene where um which i don't remember if they did in the movie either it was in the book where the Baron gets a like this like this male prostitute or something like that that was trying to poison him and Baron figures it out and then he pulls him up and says, We need to stop fighting with one another. You, you stop trying to kill me. I'm trying to put you in a better position so you could take over all of this. There's no need right. for you to try to kill me. Because they also kind of completely ignore Piker in the movie. Yeah. Because originally he was plotting with them and his role in all this was that he wanted Lady Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um and then at the end of it, or, or after the betrayal, Piker gave Jessica the, or no, Baron gave Piker the option that he could be the new, uh, he would give him some like insane amount of money and prestige, or he could have Jessica, but he'd be exiled and have to leave uh, like uh, Imperial space. Yeah. And of course he took the money. Can you imagine having the job of having to write the script and go, try to figure out what you leave in the movie and what you take out. Oh God, no, no. I mean, it's like, again, I go back to this, this really needs to be a long series kind of thing to tell the, the, it. It's such a game of Thrones kind of thing. Cause there's so many characters and there's so much depth to it that it, it needs a game of Thrones kind of treatment for it to, to be done properly. 
But you know, uh, yeah, and and I don't know. I I think. I mean, I'll take what we got, but yeah, it, it's. I think this is a good a good compromise because it does force them to gloss over some of the insanely innate parts of the book mm-hmm. and tell a more focused and concise fluid story. story. Yeah. Uh, it's the yeah. same it's the same thing with Ready Player 1. They I understand that it's not exactly the books and I, and they made changes to tell the the same story but in a more concise and a more condensed manner. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm okay with most of the changes they did. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it too. I, we've, we've been only been, we've only been you know, glomming on about it for like the last hour or so. Exactly. <laughs> um, Moving on, this snippet is from issue number twenty-three, OG Gamers, where my friend Jen and I were discussing Saturday Night Live and Jurassic Park. Apparently, Saturday Night Live's getting good again. I might actually have to start watching it. Ooh. Okay. I don't know. I, I I love the guys doing weekend update right now, but like that's about the only thing. I will say like that yeah, that, that show kinda dove off a cliff there for a bit. So I have feelings about this. Um where I stopped watching Saturday Night Live was right about when Will Farrell left. And it seems like everybody's got that point where they just say, oh, you know, after this, Saturday Night Live was just never good again. And everybody says that. And everybody has a different point of where they say that. And I've come to believe that it's just, no, that's when I reached the point where I was no longer Saturday Night Live's target demographic. So it's not that Sar- it's not that Saturday Night Live wasn't good after X. It's just that once I reached X, they were no longer talking to me. They were talking to people younger than me, and the humor seemed strange and didn't make sense to me. And that's why I stopped watching Saturday Night Live. Back in my day, the jokes were about El Nino, who is also known as the, the Nino. Nino. Yeah, like in that that period, that's when we were, you know, college age or like high school age kids, like young adults. And so it was specifically geared to us. The jokes were to our demographics. Because we could stay up that late on a Saturday night. Right. It's like it made sense to have a joke with David Spade and Chris Farley as people folding clothes at the Gap because we were people... (laughs) Who our job was folding clothes at the Gap. Um, Gap was if you're lucky. Most of us ended up being old Navy kids. uh, But yeah. So I don't think that Saturday Night Live got bad. It's just I aged out of it. And that makes me sad now. Uh, I was happy to see in the most recent episode... Uh, one of my favorite reoccurring gags of Saturday Night Live is the Five Timers Club. Like, that there's this secret club that if you host Saturday Night Live five times, you get to be a member of. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, John Mulaney hosted, and he got to be, the, like, join the Five Timers Club because it was his fifth time. And they had uh, Steve Martin's always there for it. Uh, this time they had Candace Bergen, or Bergman. Uh, Paul Rudd was there. 
and he was being salty because like he his fifth time was during covid so oh so he didn't get inducted technically so he's like yeah i i remember my fifth time it wasn't that great because you know the whole cast called off sick for my episode and everybody's like paul it was it was covid like the whole world was sick he's he's in the back reading like the like the episode of uh people magazine where he was voted the sexiest man alive you know anything anything to keep paul rudd working because god i love paul rudd (laughs) which which, speaking of which uh i aren't we getting the next ant-man movie this year i think we're supposed to but i know I don't know how much the movie timelines got messed up because of COVID. Because I, like, the last time I saw a screenshot of the schedule with everything, that was kind of, I won't say pre-COVID, but, like, before they realized how bad this was going to be. So the, the movies that were in physical production during COVID were basically... Uh, Shang-Chi, um, not Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange was in early pre-production in COVID, um, and The Eternals, The Eternals was in production, um, so we should be out of the ones that were produced in COVID and into the ones that started production after COVID. So there was a whole new, um, like a whole new reality of how filming was going to have to be. Um, and that's going into movies like, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, um, the Marvel shows we all got last year, or over last year, that was all stuff that was in production during COVID. Um, but I'm trying to remember the th- like. I'm trying to remember if they've said what the three. I I had to cheat and pull it up. Uh, that's okay. Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, we know that. that that's got a release date. We're getting that in a couple of weeks. Thor: Love and Thunder. Oh. And Black Panther. Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. Oh, okay. So those are the three movies we're gonna. Okay, so that means. Uh, the Quantum Realm one isn't going to be till 2023. For some reason, I thought Love and Thunder was until 2023, but you know, um, anything... yeah, 2023 is the next Ant Man and Wasp one. I, I just like let Tika Watiti do whatever he wants with the Marvel universe. Like, I'm just okay with it. Like, like a lot of people rag on Thor Ragnarok, and honestly, that's like one of my top five Marvel movies. Like Tika Watiti is just a treasure. Let him do whatever he wants. It was an enjoyable movie. Like not all of them can be like s- super emo serious. Like that's what I watch if I just want a right a good laugh. Oh yeah, it's so good. Like Jeff Goldblum at his Jeff Goldblumiest. Oh yes. Oh my God! Like, <laughs> I, I actually love the fact that he they he didn't die in that movie, so he can appear in other places. Like I I know he was in the What If episode, but yep. yeah, I just want Jeff Goldblum to just show up and be Jeff Goldblum. Um, and that what that the the game master, um, 
That was peak Jeff Goldblum. Um, oh, yeah, and we're going to get to see him in Jurassic Park, too. Oh, you're right. Yeah, like, I think everybody's coming back. Um, oh, man, I got to say, Laura Dern in Jurassic Park was responsible for, like, a very significant part of my sexual awakening. Like, <laughs> like... 12 year old me like like when jurassic world with jurassic the first jurassic park came out that movie blew my mind like i was the perfect age group for that movie i was 12 years old when that came out um and you know we didn't have like at that point the nearest first run movie theater was the first run movie theater at the mall like eight miles, or not eight miles, but probably like three or four miles from my house. So I had to ride my bike on Wednesday mornings during the summer to go catch the like $5 matinee. And I still probably saw Jurassic Park four times in theaters before it hit the dollar shows. And I saw it another four times. So I kind of lucked out as a kid. Um, my mom worked at Jonathan B. Pub, which was at Lakeside Mall. She was a manager. And right next door to us was the piddly little, it was either a two, three, or four theater at Lakeside Mall. I don't even remember their name. But they had a deal with Jonathan B. Pub that you could do like a mov uh, movie and dinner. And they each got like a cut from that. And so my mom always had free movie passes. So... Whenever she had to take me with her to work, my usual bribe would be, here, just take one of these tickets and j just don't go see showgirls. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. As long as you don't go see showgirls, you're fine. <laughs> Dude, and, like, I remember saving up my paper out monies to go see Jurassic Park. Uh, and then seeing Laura Dern as, like, you know, Ellie Sattler, badass scientist. And, like... Cat, stop pushing the button. I realize that the mixer is made of warm, but you know, there are other places you can lay down. For the love of God, choose any of them. <laughs> Cat's got a cat. Oh my God. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so like seeing super confident Laura Dern, uh, dinosaur scientist or paleon no she was a paleobotanist but yeah like totally not afraid to like dig through a mountain of poo to help a, a like dinosaur that was sick like my heart melted like yeah i i was all about that um so yeah i'm like super jazzed to see her back into it okay folks this is going to be our last clip and then i'll splice in the original recording rojan and i did for this issue this is a throwback to issue number 29 with Rojan, myself, and Tom from Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Uh, we're talking a deep dive into some cinema technology and behind-the-scenes stuff about how movies work. So enjoy. Um, there. Are... Okay, so granted, again, to play devil's advocate here just because I can, and they've already used that technology. I believe they used some of it in Doctor Strange, too. So therefore... Since they're using that wraparound screen technology for everything now, why couldn't they simply produce movies with it and again keep the cost down? Or this, is it a matter okay? Of okay, this is actually a really interesting uh, fact because you can't, um, because 
making a movie is almost no no it is almost a a mafia experience it is you with all the various unions like you're talking the stagehand union has set like set numbers of if you are making a movie this is how many people you have to employ if you're doing these kind of things these are how many people you need um and even into um they have different rates if you're doing a tv show or if you're doing a movie um the reason the theatrical workers union went on almost went on strike a few years ago or last year actually was because like when streaming first came out nobody really thought streaming was going to be a thing so the stage workers union IATSE negotiated with production companies that if you're doing a streaming show uh there is a lower rate than even doing TV that you could pay workers and so in the five or six years that streaming became more popular than television, they were still working under that contract where you could pay less for a streaming show uh, or pay workers less for a streaming show than you would for even a TV show. Even if that streaming show had a $50 million budget. Um, So IATSE wanted to change the contract and the producers union said, no, we're not going to, we're just going to keep using this old contract and I basically told them either we change the contract or we're going on strike and we shut down Hollywood. And they mean it. You sh- if the theatrical workers go on strike, you don't have sound oh, engineers. Yeah. It happened you don't, before. Yeah. Like, no. When the writers went on strike, TV was still made because you still had camera operators. You still had stagehands. You still had sound operators. If IATSE goes on strike, you don't have anything. You don't have camera operators. You don't have lighting guys. You don't have the people that move anything. You don't have the camera operators. And most of those people or those companies that those people work for are the ones that provide the equipment. You don't have microphones. You don't have cameras. You don't have lighting. It still goes back to we've got Disney has this wraparound screen technology. And they, they used it in Doctor Strange from what I'm reading right here. But... Why can't, because a lot of the, the problem with movies is the cost and how much it costs to make them versus how much money it has to bring in. Mm-hmm. So you can still, what's the difference if they're using a wraparound screen instead of a full-blown soundstage where they use green screen in the background? So instead of having to go to like Antarctica or whatever, or like they did in The Mandalorian with the ice planet, they used that wraparound screen for the ice planet in the first episode. You know, what's what's to stop them from doing these movies at a more cost-efficient rate and not having to rely so much on as much technology to go places. So you can, from a technical standpoint, you can do that. Um, Isn't that how they did the uh, the Lion King? I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's where... I'm pretty sure that's where I, mean, I think that might have been the first uh, project to have used that technology. Well, I know Dune ripped it off because one of the people that worked on The Mandalorian also worked on Dune. They didn't use the same. They used a very similar technology, but not the same. They they emulated it and aped it to do a lot of the desert shooting in Dune. Like I know, I know one of the movies that pioneered it was the movie Gravity uh, with Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that was the first movie I ever recall reading about that they used it in. Because um, they, essentially what they would have is, because in the movie Gravity they're spinning around in zero G, um, and the light source changes relative to where the actor's positions are. So it became easier for them to put the actor essentially in an LED room. And it's, okay, in this spot, the sun is in this location. This is where the lighting's coming from. But then she moves around, but the sun's static. So instead of having her move around, they had the sun move around in the scene, or in this box. Yeah. Um, that was the first time I ever read about them using the technology of LED walls to replace green screening. Um, and the reason, I... the reason was because the wall itself gives off light, so it provided a practical lighting as opposed to digital lighting. Um, yeah. There is the, uh, the Avengers where uh, there's the scene with the Avengers where she's being, where uh, Scarlet, I mean, uh, uh, Black Widow is being chased by the Hulk and mm -hmm. they point out in the video when you slow it down how the light doesn't change relative to how she's running exactly. whereas unlike the Mandalorian where she's running as he's running the light changes in relativeness to as he's running in the scene now there are cons LED wall technology isn't perfect um, and the bigger you build the wall uh, the, m the more light it gives off uh, to the point where it can become painfully bright if it's mm -hmm. you use too much of them. Um, and I've seen that physically happen in my old job where they created an LED wall that was so bright they had to turn off every light in the room and people are still, like, wearing sunglasses. Um, yeah, but that'll adjust. They'll, they'll make corrections for that as the time, as the technology develops. Like, this is going to be... Like when Matrix came out, bullet time was the big thing and everybody copied bullet time. That was the Matrix was a movie that changed a lot of special effects and movies and production and so forth. So now you've got Disney coming along with this and it's already starting. People are already starting to knock it off. It's so, it's one of those things where it doesn't scale perfectly um, in a smaller like TV size set. You can get away with it. But if you're getting into a larger sound stage, it's not going to work. Um, it's not going to have the same, um, just because the way LED technology works, it will not have the same fidelity as a computer-generated green screen. Um, there was, uh, I was just reading an article um, about, oh, it was some British period piece. And they showed this scene, and it's this woman and a gentleman in a car, and they're having a conversation as the car's driving down the countryside. And it's like, people are always saying about practical effects versus special effects, or like uh, practical filming versus a blue screen. And you look at this scene, and you're like, oh yeah, this is why we've got to have practical filming. Because, you know, this these people in this car are having this conversation. Well, it turns out nothing in that nothing in that scene is real other than people. Everything's green screen. Um, because to get the shot where they are in space, uh, the, the, um, the camera would have had to be mounted on the hood of the car. Uh, the front window would have to be taken out because the glare of the shot. 
Uh, the mm. motor of the car would have been too loud to pick up the conversation. And it's this incredibly expensive old car that there's only four of in existence. Um, so with blue screen technology, like you can have the physical space of the car. You can have the door and physically mock up the door as a piece of blue material so that they can grab it, hold on to it and move it. And but it and then just CG in the what would be the model of the door. So with the the LED wall technology that you're talking about, you can have that, but it's like an old school map painting. It is flat. You will still need the physical elements of the set, and those may have to be, be blue screened. And at that point, you're better off just doing the whole thing blue screen. And there will always be pixelation in it. Um, in the back wall just because of how LEDs work. So if you don't want that pixelization and you want it to have that fidelity of trueness, you have to go to blue screen. That seems a good place. We, we've, we've gone so far afield for this, uh, our second anniversary episode. Uh, Rojan, where can people in the world find you? Right now, my well, I've got the Project Archivist podcast. There's a Project Archivist Facebook page. As I said at the beginning of the show, I don't know if you did it on or not, but I'm, I'm planning to get that back up and running sometime in November. And I'm going to try to stay fairly consistent with it because by then my job will have settled down enough to where I can actually start booking shows again. My big thing that I'm doing right now, though, is a Facebook group called Cinema Labad where we basically, uh, me and some buddies get together, we watch some really bad movies, uh, we try to do it at least once a week, and then we'll post the movie where people can watch it for free most of the time, and some kind of a review about the movie. And, um, you know, if you're into strange, funny, weird, B-rate movies, or classics, um, you know, join up in that Facebook group. Um, it's a private group, but you, can, you should be able to join it with no problem. Uh, but that's pretty much it for the most part. That's that's where I'm at. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. I'm Project Archivist. Um, you know, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, and you can find us on the Old Nerds Drinking Facebook page. Come for the podcast. Stay for the memes. Or if you ever, if anybody would like to uh, reach out to us, you can send us an email at oldnerdsdrinking at gmail.com. But with that... End of line. Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is! Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! German? Forget it, he's rolling. And it ain't over now! So, what's the plan? Take on, go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. Right off. Let's close up the bridge. Let's get out of here. Close it up. Lights out. Where are you headed, cowboy? Nowhere special. Nowhere special. I always wanted to go there. We're going streaky! Please disperse. Nothing to see here, please.